This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, February 17th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, Telluride talks Shandoka F-Building Reconstruction, Center for Mental Health by the Numbers, Exploring Tai Chi with Bill, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office is investigating a suspicious death outside of Norwood, with assistance from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. According to the Sheriff's Office, there is no immediate threat to the community. There is no further information at this time. Planning is continuing for the replacement of Shandoka's F building. According to Telluride Housing Director Melanie Wasserman, the building, which was constructed in the early 90s, has several large systems that need to be replaced. So the piping is a big one, the siding, the windows, the roof needs a lot of work, and so cumulatively it adds up to a lot. Rather than replace each of those systems, Wasserman says, town is looking at reconstructing the whole building. During a Telluride Housing Authority subcommittee meeting this week, members of town council met to discuss the rebuild. The subcommittee unanimously agreed town should tear down the building to the foundation and rebuild from there. Here are council members Dan Enright and Adrian Christie. I'm also in favor of going to the foundation so that we can increase density and hopefully increase just general efficiency of the building. The trade-off of the course is increased cost, but I don't think that that's too much of a hurdle for our account considering our budget at the moment. The biggest benefit to that, Wasserman notes, is town can increase the density. So to build more apartment units, and that might mean that the layouts are slightly different. It might mean that we go up higher. You know, right now we don't know. Mayor Delaney Young adds, at a minimum, the new building needs to be the same density as the current building, which has 23 units. As for the people currently living in F Building, Wasserman says she is 100% committed to making sure no one loses their housing. Town has several affordable housing projects coming online over the next couple years. Wasserman says town could relocate F Building residents to those projects or to other Shandoka units as they become available. And the Telluride Housing Authority subcommittee, as well as any town council member you'll talk to about this, is also keeping that as a number one priority to make sure that the folks who live there now know that they're not getting kicked out on the street. As for whether those people will return to F building, Mayor Young says she imagines an opt-in system. If we move people, for example, to Sunnyside, it would be better if it was a permanent move and that people weren't going back and forth. And if they got a Sunnyside unit, maybe they opt out of being able to go back to the F building or whatever it's called. Enright stresses he wants to give people the option to move back, noting there could be financial reasons, since some newer town projects are built for people with higher incomes. The subcommittee didn't reach any final decisions on that question. Timing is another variable. Wasserman anticipates the F-building relocation and reconstruction will all play out over the next couple years. A timeline, she thinks, will come into more focus over the coming months. There's a lot of variables to consider. Mayor Young compares it all to a game of Jenga. If we pull out the wrong stick at the wrong time, 
it's going to make the entire project fall apart and take twice as long to get it fixed. In the meantime, Wasserman stresses, F building is safe to live in, and the other Shandoka buildings aren't experiencing the same sorts of issues. It's no secret mental health is a big topic of conversation in San Miguel County. Across the region, there are a number of organizations working towards providing care and resources for those who need it, including the Center for Mental Health. The nonprofit provides mental health services across six counties, San Miguel, Ure, Montrose, Gunnison, Delta, and Hinsdale. The center provided an update on 2021 service numbers at an intergovernmental meeting this week. About 5% of our clients are coming from San Miguel County, so we served about 4,000 people last year um, across our six-county region. That's Paul Reich with the Center for Mental Health. According to Reich, in 2021, the center served nearly 200 San Miguel County residents in outpatient care, over 100 with psychiatric care, and over 200 residents through a mix of substance use programs, the crisis center, DUI classes, case management, and jail-based services. But Reich highlights one number in particular. Last year, the Center for Mental Health worked with 33 San Miguel County residents through the Crisis Walk-In Center. The Walk-In Center is located in Montrose and works with individuals who need urgent mental health and substance use treatment. That 33 is not just a number on a page. There are people that I know in that 33. And so, you know, I think for many of those, you know, for me, this is the, the kind of the, the crown jewel, if you will, of our crisis services across our six county regions um, and work closely with uh, the sheriff's office in San Miguel County to provide the services for those individuals that are interacting with the, the mobile crisis response here. Reich notes about a quarter of the individuals who worked with the walk-in center were 18 years old or younger. Given the busy year for the center, it's also faced its challenges when it comes to staffing. According to Shelley Spaulding, CEO at the Center for Mental Health, they currently have 35 full-time positions open. All of us in healthcare are just competing with each other for positions like nurses and some of our tech positions. So um, workforce shortage is a huge, huge thing. She adds staffing burnout and changeover, especially during the pandemic, make the situation even more difficult. The thing that I used to think about with our staff that were doing behavioral health is that folks could do their job during the day and then go home and, uh, you know, really turn it off and do something else. And since the pandemic um, hit, everybody's going home and uh, dealing with uh, that in their own personal lives and having to... Uh, try to homeschool kids and all that. I hope we're, we're past a lot of that, but really finding creative ways to support staff has been challenging. Another shift coming to the Center for Mental Health is a merger with Access Health System, a nonprofit healthcare system providing services in southwest Colorado. Spalding notes, while the merger is a change for the organization, it shouldn't impact those who receive care. You will not see any changes in services with our merger with Axis. I mean, maybe over time we'll grow services, but we'll have to do that very closely um, aligned with uh, the medical center and Uncompagre to see what's needed. If there, are, if there are gaps over time, we may be able to try to look at that, but in terms of current services, you won't, there won't be any difference. To make an appointment at the Center for Mental Health, 
Individuals can call 970-252-3200. If you are having a mental health emergency, you can call the Center's 24-hour support hotline at 970-252-6220 or call 911. Bill Cranston has studied Tai Chi for decades. Recently, he started teaching a series of classes on the Chinese martial art at the Wilkinson Public Library. KOTO spoke to Cranston about Tai Chi and his time learning it. My name is Bill Cranston, and I have been doing Tai Chi for many years. I'm not sure exactly, I don't keep that in mind, but since the mid-80s. Tai Chi is originally a martial art, and it's correctly pronounced Tai Chi Chuan, and Tai Chi means the yin-yang symbol. And it's part of what I would call the internal martial arts in Chinese culture. The original attraction, maybe I watched too much Kung Fu with David Carradine. <laughs> Slow moving, I wanted somebody to call me grasshopper or something. But basically, um, it feels good. <laughs> And I think that's a great motivation for any activity we do. Does it make us happy? Does it fulfill something in us? And does it make us feel good? And then you discover it's really good for your health. And it creates a kind of inner balance that, in a way you could say, uh, creates a meditative state through movement. So it's very good for people who have an interest in meditation, but can't do it so well on a cushion, sitting down. It's really a, a mind-body activity for the health of both mind and body. But when they're brought together very consciously through what is now a popular term, mindfulness, we're mindful of how our feet feel on the floor, we're mindful how our shoulders are with tension, without tension, our breathing, we're mindful of everything in the process of the exercise. And having that mindfulness together with movement creates um, an extraordinary degree of result in well-being and health. We often say in Tai Chi that to maximize the health principles, you need to understand the martial principles because the martial principles enhance the health benefits. For example, um, as a martial art, it's very counterintuitive to respond. Let's say if someone gives me a pressure and pushes me on my shoulder, it's very counterintuitive to just relax under that push rather than respond with, oh no, and shove back. So um, if I relax, that connects that point of contact with my center. And by relaxing, that person falls into my center a little bit, and then I can move and unbalance them. I control their balance at that point. That's kind of a metaphor for stresses that meet me in daily life. If I get a stress and I, my shoulders come up to my ears and my breathing gets caught up in my chest, if I relax and accept that stress to an extent, then I'm more able to be in my center again 
and then make a more appropriate response to that stress. I hate to say it like this, but we need a, a little bit of a martial attitude because we're so assaulted by stress these days. And the martial attitude is not like a grrr, I need to fight back. It's more an intensity of awareness. And with that awareness, be mindful of how I'm responding in the moment with tension and stress. For more information about Bill Cranston's Tai Chi classes at the Wilkinson Public Library, head to telluridelibrary.org. The town of Telluride's town manager search is narrowing. On Wednesday, town announced four finalists for the position. They include Kevin Hall, who has served the city of Durango in various roles over the last two decades, most recently as assistant city manager and managing director of community development, Joseph Kirby, a resident of Corvallis, Oregon, with about 20 years of city and county management experience, who has served as Benton County Administrator since 2017, Scott Robson, who has served as Vale Town Manager since 2019, and Greg Sund who has about 25 years of city and county management experience and is currently serving as Telluride's interim town manager. All four finalists will visit the area at the end of the month. For anyone looking to meet them, there will be a reception open to the public at the Sheridan Show Bar on Thursday, February 24th from 4.45 to 6 p.m. Applications are open for the 2022 Town of Mountain Village Farm to Community Program. The program provides qualified Mountain Village residents 14 weeks of locally farmed produce and food items for just a $35 application fee. In 2021, the program served 85 families and distributed more than 13,000 pounds of food. The town has partnered once again with Norwood's Fresh Food Hub to supply the shares. Food shares will be available for pickup at this summer's market on the plaza each Wednesday in Heritage Plaza. To qualify, applicants must live in deed-restricted housing in the town of Mountain Village, where the household is made up of one parent plus one or more dependents, or meet annual household income qualifications. Spots are available on a first-come, first-served basis. More information about the 2022 Farm to Community Program and application materials are available at townofmountainvillage.com. It's a weekend for music in and around the Box Canyon. On Friday, Kenny Goldman is playing at Heritage Plaza from noon to 4. Aubrey Mabel is at the Transfer Warehouse from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Andy Jones is at the Peaks from 3 to 6. And the Gold Kings are at the Phoenix Bean from 6 to 8 p.m. Saturday, catch Sean Deland at Heritage Plaza from noon to 4, Mahoney Drive Party Band's Flatliner Express Sing-Along at the Transfer Warehouse from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m., and DJ Wombat at OB's from 10 to midnight. Sunday, the Kevin McCarthy Trio is at Heritage Plaza from noon to 4, and Atari Safari is at the Transfer Warehouse from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. For more information on local live music, check out Koto's live music calendar at koto.org. 
Colorado Democrats are advancing a bill to protect workers who raise safety concerns from retaliation. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. It would extend a law passed last year to help workers who are being fired or punished for complaining about a lack of protective equipment during the pandemic. Kevin DePasquale works for a teachers union in Douglas County. He says making it permanent will help districts attract and retain educators. Teachers will always know they can speak up when they feel health and safety is at risk for themselves, their colleagues, and their students. Sean Gallagher of the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce was the only person to testify against it. He says the bill is a solution in search of a problem. Colorado already has a very robust safety net of worker protections. Republicans also raised concerns about the potential price tag of the whistleblower protections. It will soon head to the full Senate for more debate. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. Former Aspen City Councilman and Aspen resident Adam Frisch is running for Congress and trying to unseat Lauren Boebert of Silt in the 3rd Congressional District. He joins eight other Democrats and three Republicans, including Boebert, in the race for the state's largest district. Caroline Giannis spoke with Frisch about his candidacy and what he sees as the defining issue in the upcoming election. What pushed you to run for Colorado's 3rd District? Well, I think it's time for someone to replace Lone Bobart. I think she has been an embarrassment. I think she has betrayed the Constitution. I think she's betrayed our country. And probably most importantly, I think she's betrayed the district and the people and voters here. She is seems to be a lot more focused on building up her Twitter feeds and raising money on a national level instead of focus on the district needs that farmers and ranchers and resort workers and everyone else who's living here should be focused on regarding inflation, the economy, rural broadband, healthcare. And I think it's time to try to focus on issues, not personalities. What are the key issues you're focused on heading into this race? Well, I, I think the main focus on this race is that it's going to be looked at as a referendum on Lowen Bulbert, the betrayer. And it's important to win before we can start to legislate. It's really about trying to make sure that we get people that are focused on issues, and I would call them rural issues, not Democratic issues or Republican issues, because our plan to win is to get a consortium of independents, unaffiliated, a lot of Democrats, and a lot of sensible Republicans who, again, want people to focus on issues and not on the personalities and not building up Twitter feeds. Protection of water in our environment, making sure that we tackle this inflation, ensure that our communities that are in economic transition have someone who's championing their causes and not spending time embarrassing themselves in Washington, D.C., you served on Aspen City Council for eight years and have a great deal of experience in local government. How do you feel that experience will translate to a federal office, especially representing such a large and diverse district? I think everyone at the city and at the county level is doing what I call elected community service. And every time those eight years when I served from 2011 to 2019, I would bristle, <laughs> ironically or not, when someone said, how do you like being a politician or how do you like being in politics? And I said, I'm not one of those. I am doing elected community service, but at a wider level at a state federal office holder, 
is going to be a little bit interesting. But I think there's some common things. I am running as a fresh face at the state and national level. I've not spent a lot of time in the state house. I respect all the people that do. And so I'm just trying to use mainstream thoughts and some common sense to bring some issues to the tables of Washington, D.C., because I think the kitchen tables of our district have been forgotten about in the midst of all this politics where people are just trying to yell louder and louder on news stations to collect money at a national level. And so I did spend eight years, and while everyone didn't agree with me, I think I was understood to be a respectful person and a coalition builder and a good listener and thoughtful and mainstream. And I think a lot of those adjectives are needed in Washington, D.C. these days. You're entering a pretty crowded Democratic primary. What sets you apart from the other eight candidates? Yeah, so there's a whole host of candidates that are running on the Democratic side. And as I tell people, I'm running alongside them, not against them. We're all on the same train, different cars. But I strongly and humbly believe I'm the only one that has the combination of the ability to raise the resources needed and having mainstream moderate views that are needed to go to a district that is still a majority of Republican voters. You know, I think the district's probably somewhere around 54, 46, if you will, right now. And I think Bobart costs herself three or four of those eight points herself. And that's the window for someone to step in and really challenge her and tell the voters that we need someone that can challenge her. And it's going to be a very expensive race. And I don't say that with pride, but it will be one of the top three or four um, focused race on a national level because of her profile and her antics and her embarrassments. And so I think it's going to be a combination of someone willing to stand up to her being able to raise a lot of money, and again, having moderate views and mainstream views that are going to connect with even a lot of sensible Republicans. Do you worry that being from Aspen might work against you with voters from other parts of this district? Yeah, you know, as I kind of joked of the 500 communities that we have in this district, Picking County and Aspen are probably the last places to come from. And I appreciate that. I think some of it's fair. I think some of it's unfair. I think Aspen sometimes gets a bad rap. At the end of the day, we're a small caring community, not different than a lot of other communities that are in the same district. But without a doubt, it's an unrepresentative one when you look at the district as a whole. Um, But, you know, growing up on an Indian reservation for the first five years of my life in rural Montana and having my mom's family on their fourth generation of a farm and ranch and supply business and still running an active grain elevator and my dad's family from the iron range of a mining community in northern minnesota i think i have some roots in me that can connect with everyone in the district but i realize that coming from fancy pants aspen might not be the ideal place when they're looking for an ideal candidate but i'm going to make a pitch to the voters that i think i'm the best one to represent them and i think we'll do a good job connecting with them That was Democrat Adam Frisch of Aspen speaking with Aspen Public Radio reporter Caroline Giannis about his recently announced run for Congress against Republican Lauren Boebert of Silt. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 10 degrees. 
Friday should be sunny with a high in the mid-30s. Friday night, expect clear skies with a low in the mid-teens. Saturday calls for sunny skies with a high near 40 degrees. Saturday night should be mostly clear with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, February 17th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.